But if you're visiting with us, we're in a series here called The Seven Letters, and it's taken from Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you can turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. All the notes will be in your program, or they'll come up on the, on the, on the jumbotrons. Um, these seven letters that Jesus wrote, he wrote to seven different churches in the first century that were located throughout Asia Minor, where basically modern-day Turkey is today. And I've told you that they were much like progress reports. These letters told uh, these churches the good, the bad, and the ugly. They told these churches about the good things that they were doing. They told these churches about the bad things that they were involved in, and they told these churches about the ugly things that Jesus saw. All of these letters um, had some great wisdom that Jesus shares with uh, the, the people of those churches. And so we're just kind of taking a, a tour through these first century seven churches that were in Asia Minor, and we're learning a lot from them. Uh, I can't think of a, a series that I've done where I've received as many emails as I have, especially after last, last week's message. And what that tells me is, is that the Holy Spirit's at work in, in your life and in the life of your, of your family. The first letter we, we looked at was to what is called the busy church, or what I call the busy church. And this was a group of believers that um, they loved Jesus, um, but they just got busy doing lots of things. Not bad things, not evil things, not wicked things. They had just gotten really busy, busy to the point that they had forgot about their first love for Jesus. And that's not a good thing. And so Jesus shared some great uh, thoughts or wisdom on how they could get their first love for Jesus back. And obviously, that applies to every one of us. Though we may live in the 21st century, it's certainly um, something we all have to deal with, right? That we can get so busy that we forget about our first love for the Lord. Then we looked at uh, the second letter, or the letter to the suffering church. This was a a group of people that, because of persecution and other things, they were just in a, in a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering in that church. And once again, Jesus gave some great thoughts or great wisdom to that group of people of, about how you might deal with pain, sorrow, suffering, the trials of life, which once again certainly uh, applies to us here in the 21st century. We all experience different types of sorrow and pain or whatever. Then last week, we began to look at the third letter that Jesus wrote, which was to the church at Pergamum. This was a, a church that had become confused, and that's how I'm wording it. They'd become confused as to what the, the, the truth was. And like the first two churches, Jesus gave some great wisdom or insights to this group of people. And so let's read this third letter uh, together in Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 12, okay? Okay. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, right, to the, to the leader of the church, to the pastor of the church, to the elder or elders of the, of the church. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was Put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give to him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. So here we have this church that believed in the truth of the Bible, or at least the, 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 the Old Testament, the piece of the Bible that they would have had back then. They believed the Bible. They, they believed the truth in the Bible, which is a, a good thing. It's what we as followers of Jesus are to do. This is to be our, our guidepost to life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep, they listen to my voice. And obviously today, this is the primary way we listen to the voice of the Lord. And Jesus said, my followers, my disciples, my people, they, they listen to me. They listen to my voice. And not only do they listen to my voice, but, but they actually follow me. They actually do it. They actually live it out. And Jesus says, and I know who they are. And this church at Pergamum followed the teachings of Jesus, as I said. But somehow... They had been deceived into following the teachings of others. They were following the, the teachings of Balaam, who, as I told you last week, was really a crummy Old Testament uh, prophet. And they were following the teachings of a man named Nicholas, hence the name Nicolaitans. He was a, a guy who everybody thought was a true believer in Jesus, but was really just a, um, a wolf, if you will, in sheep's clothing. So they were, they were people who were, who were confused as to what the truth was. Imagine trying to follow the teachings of Muhammad in the Muslim faith and the teachings of Joseph Smith in the Mormon faith and the teachings of Charles Taze Russell in Jehovah's Witness faith and the teachings of Darwin in the evolutionary faith, and it is a faith, and the teachings of Buddha or some other Middle Eastern faith and the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Christian faith. Imagine embracing all different kinds of truth. Somebody who embraces all different kinds of truth, at least from my vantage point, is confused. They're confused as to what the, 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 the truth is. Well, Paul says this, that, um, that this was what was happening in this, in this uh, uh, you know, church at, at Pergamon. Jesus says, hey, look you've gotten some things goofed up in your life. You've gotten some things goofed up in your, your, your ministry. Now, now, here's the deal. I know that 99.9% .9 of you aren't following the teachings of Muhammad in here. I know that 99% of you aren't following the teachings of Joseph Smith or Darwin or, or Buddha, okay? I know that the overwhelming majority of you in this room, over in the venue, watching online, whatever, you follow the teachings of the Bible, I know that. I've been here a long, long time. But I also know that some of you have been deceived into um, 
following the teachings or the philosophies that are totally unbiblical. And, and, and you don't know it. It's not like you sat down one day, you know, with your spouse or your kids and said, hey, you know, family, we believe the Bible and we're going to follow the Bible and we're going to go to church and Bible studies and men's, women's, all that stuff. But you know what? I think we're also going to add some other kinds of truth into our daily lives. You didn't do that. But they have made their way into your life or the life of your family and uh, last week when I shared a, a few of those truths with you, some of those false teachings, those false philosophies, wow, the, the number of emails that we received, um, that I received, people who went, man, I had no idea. I had no idea how I had embraced some of these crummy teachings that are out there, how I've allowed that into my family. People who went into the altar room, a guy who went into the altar room on Saturday night, brought his whole family and his wife and his kids and said, hey, I'm guilty and I'm here to repent of my sin and would you pray for me? I I've just allowed some crummy things into my life. And what I'd like to do is, is I just wanna quickly go over what some of those things were that I, I shared last week because I know some of you are new and I want you to hear them. Uh, uh, number one, uh, worldview lie number one is materialism. Many of you have bought into this lie. This lie says that if you just buy enough things, you'll be happy. Or if you buy the right things, you'll be happy. And how I know many of you bought into that lie is because you're just in debt up to your eyeballs with stuff that you went and bought. You didn't even have the money, but you just had to have this thing or that thing. And, and so you went out and you bought that thing and this thing, and then you bought two more things. And, and, and now you're just up to here in debt. You, you, you said, you know what, I don't care really what the Bible says about finances. I'm really not going to follow the teachings of, of this book anymore. I'm just going to take this plastic thing and go out and buy stuff. And somehow you bought into this lie that if I just have the right stuff or stuff in general, I'll be happy. And, and obviously you, you see that in you know, the phenomenon here in the United States of, of uh, many storage places. That we have so much stuff, it can't fit into your house. And so you go put it into a little locked storage container, and you lock it up, and if you're not going to use it, you're not letting anybody else use it. There it sits, useless for the kingdom. You have brothers and sisters in the Lord who may need something, and you're not giving it up. I had a man who called me who said, Pastor Rick, I, I could not get that thought out of my mind. It has just haunted me. It's unbelievable how you've been haunting me. And I said, no, no, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit haunting you. And he said, he told me about a mini storage place. He, he may be in this gathering who, over in the Bay Area. And he said, what do I, what do, I do with it? And I said, well, hey, why don't you just call a church, a good church that's located by there. Send them the key and just say it's all yours. You take it and you distribute it to those who may be in need. And he went, whoa, that's a great idea. And let me tell you something. 
I know that once he does that, he didn't need the stuff. He told me, I don't even need it. I didn't even think about it. I just keep sending a check, you know, for the stuff. I don't even need it. I know that once he obeys the, the Holy Spirit in his life, wow, there'll be a freedom. No longer will I be haunting him in, 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 in his dreams, you know, kind of a thing. Um, Jesus said this. He said, watch out. Watch out. Hey, Christian, watch out. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life, a woman's life, it, it isn't, you know, doesn't consist in the abundance of, of their possessions. Don't buy into that crummy worldview of materialism. Uh, number two, I, I talked about uh, individualism. This is a huge lie. It's a worldview. This lie says that in, that in this life, you know, it's, it's all about you. It's kind of this me first kind of an attitude. And we see this worldview everywhere. Most of the TV commercials, as I told you last week, cater to this worldview, right? Have it your way. You're worth it. You deserve a break today, right? Individualism believes lies like this. You know, I, I know that if I divorce my spouse and I walk out on my marriage that, that my kids are going to suffer, but man, i got to do what's best for me. And a lot of Christians have bought into that lie. I know in my 30 years here, I've had a lot of people say, you know, i got to do what's best for me. The Bible teaches don't look out only for your own interest. You, you need to look after your own interests. But take an interest in others too, like your children. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ, when he was in the, the, the heavenly realm, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this this incredible unity of, the, of the, the, the triune God. And we had this dilemma on our hands. Our sin had separated us from the Father. We were doomed. Every one of us in this room was doomed. We, we had a problem we couldn't fix on our own. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I, I don't want to go help them. I want to do what's best for me. And what's best for me is I just want to hang out with you, Father, the Holy Spirit. No. Jesus said, I'll put aside my own needs to go meet the needs of us, of me. Lie number three, or worldview number three, is hedonism. This is the lie that basically says that if something feels good, then it is good. And if something feels bad, then it's got to be bad. A hedonist lives for pleasure. They live to have fun or feel good. They, they let their feelings become the judge of just about everything. They, they live for, for pleasure. Worldview or lie number four is pragmatism. This is the lie that says that whatever you're into may not be my thing, but, but I'm happy, you know, for you to each his own kind of thinking, Right? In America, this is huge. It's the attitude that says, it doesn't matter if what you're into is right or wrong. It doesn't matter if what you're into will hurt anybody or not. If it works for you, who am I to judge, right? Who am I to tell you that what you're doing is wrong? 
And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, there's a way that seems right to a man. Seems right. But the reality is it just, it, it, it leads to death. And I told you last week that this is going to be our theme verse for the new series that's coming up here in a couple of months or whenever it is. If God doesn't come back, it's called, What Does God Say About? And we're going to deal with uh, homosexuality, gay marriage, abortion. We're just going to deal with some of these hot button topics. Because obviously we live in a culture that they, you know, it, hey, it seems right. But in the end, it's, it just ends horribly. It has a horrible outcome, not only for individuals, but even for a, a, a nation. A lot of things may seem right. They work for you, but in the end, they're crummy and, sh and, and hurtful, right? It may seem right to cheat on your spouse and have an affair. It may work for you, right? It may feel good, but in the end, it's crummy and hurtful, isn't it? It may seem right to get drunk every night. It may feel good. It may work for you, but in the end, it's, it's pretty crummy, isn't it? It's pretty hurtful. Beloved, there are things that you can be into that are evil. There can be things that you're into that are, that are wicked or harmful, and I, as your brother in Christ, am called to confront you on it. The Bible teaches this in Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that there are right paths, which means that there are wrong paths. There's right ways of doing things, and there are wrong ways to do things. We have this book, The Teachings of God's Word. This is the path that we're to take. And when we see one another get off the path, and it happens to all of us, we're to be there to say, hey, hey, hang on here a second. Hang on. That may be working for you, but it's not what God's word uh, teaches. A worldview or lie number five uh, is naturalism. This is the lie that says that everything in life is just a result of random chance. In other words, you know, we're all accidents of nature. There's no grand creator. There's no grand design. There's no God. God doesn't exist. God doesn't matter. By sheer natural selection, you just happen to show up on, on planet Earth, right? The Bible says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So men, people are without an excuse. And basically what the Bible says is, you know, you can just look at your hand and you have to go, whoa, Somebody who was like really smart put that together. I mean, that's unbelievable. Forget about your central nervous system. Forget about your circulatory system. Forget about how your eyeball works or how your brain works. You can look at at El Capitan, or you can look at the beauty of a Gerber daisy and go, whoa, there's somebody out there, something out there that put this all together. 
I have this ring here that I got in Israel last year. It's got two things on it. Two. Two. And obviously, you all are smart enough to know that somebody put that ring together. It didn't make itself. It, two things. Look, God's word is crystal clear. You can just look around and see that there had to be a, a design maker. Somebody with a whole lot more intelligence than all of us in this room put together. Worldview or lie number six is humanism. This is the lie that says that you're your own God. <laughs> this is uh, the message of most of the new age stuff that's out there. You're divine, you know, you're God, you're the center of the universe. And we as humans love to hear that. We, we love to hear that. It was the original temptation of Satan. He said to Adam and Eve, eat this and you're going to be like God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, they, human beings, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They, they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And here's the deal, beloved. You're not God. You're not even a mini-me God. Okay? You're not. Unbelievable how people will take a piece of wood and carve something out of it and then put it down and, and then they worship it. They, they make something and then they worship it. People worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the pyramids. Here's the bottom line. Human beings are made to worship God. And if they don't worship God, they will end up worshiping something. That's why you see some of the, the craziest things out there. People worshiping all kinds of weird stuff. Because we were made to worship God, our creator. And when we deny him, we're going to find something else to worship. And most of the time, it's us. I'm amazed at some of the stuff that's posted on Facebook. And man, you see this. And nothing wrong with going to a gym and working out and keeping fit. Nothing wrong with that. Unbelievable, though, when people start posting pictures of themselves. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look at my abs. Look at this. Look at my. And they're just like, what are you, what are you doing? Boy, you're really into you, aren't you? It's one thing to say, hey, I'm getting in shape. I'm at the club. Praise the Lord for that. But man, we've taken it to a whole nother world here. It's no longer about going to the club and you know, working out. It's about, look at me. Look at all the pictures of me. I'm posting all the stuff about me. Me. And a lot of them are believers. They've somehow bought into something that just, it's just wrong. Um, now, I'm going to give you one that I didn't give you last week, okay? And that would be lie or whatever, worldview number seven. That's postmodernism or relativism. This is the lie that says there are no absolutes. And uh, whenever somebody says there are no absolutes, I just want you to know, that's just idiotic. I, I wish I could, I wish there was a, I I'm just not made to say things kinder. I I'm, I'm not. 
it's just idiotic. And it's totally illogical. Think about it. When someone says that there are no absolutes, they're, they're making an absolute statement. I've had young guys come into the Welcome Center and say, hey, I want you to know there's, there's, there's no such things as absolutes. And I said, really? Are, are you absolutely sure about that? Well, yeah. Oh, so there is one absolute, and that is the fact that there are no absolutes. Don't try to trick me, man. I know what you're doing. <laughs> Listen, when you go into a pharmacy to, to get a prescription filled, you don't say, hey, just give me anything. You, know, you don't do that. And the pharmacist doesn't, you know, say, hey, I didn't have the pills you wanted, but these pills kind of look like it. They're the same color. I know you need something for your backache, you know, you got going on, but these are really good for your earache. No. You want the pharmacist to give you absolutely the correct prescription in absolutely the right dose. That's what you want. That's what you're expecting. You don't want any kind of truth. You want it to be absolutely true. Now, someone who's bought into this lie, uh, postmodernism, they, they value tolerance way more than they value truth. And in my opinion, tolerance has become the supreme value in our, our culture today. It's way more important than truth. In fact, if you're truthful, you're considered intolerant. I mean, how dare you say that something is always right or something that is, you know, something is always wrong. That's intolerant. That's being judgmental. We've even, you know, redefined the word tolerance here in America. Now the word means that all ideas are basically, you know, equal. All um, ideas are equally valid. And that's just, that's just nonsense. If I say, hey, listen, um, the moon is uh, made of cheese, and one of you says, hmm, no, I think the moon is made of rock. We've actually landed a rocket ship on it, and I'm pretty confident it's made of rock. Those aren't two valid ideas or thoughts. One of them is just stupid. Hey, who are you to say? He thinks it's made of cheese. Come on. Lighten up. Just, it, it's, it's crazy. I want to be tolerant, but not at the expense of, of truthfulness. If I say that the earth is flat and you say it's round, those aren't equally valid ideas. There are a lot of things in life that are absolutely true, and there are a lot of things in life that are absolutely false. And some of those ideas are just nonsense. One of the most famous things that Jesus ever said was this. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus didn't say a truth will set you free, or any truth will set you free, or hey, make up a truth, and it'll set you free. He said, the truth will set you free. 
Freedom comes from the truth. The more you know and understand the truth, the freer you're gonna be in your spirit, your family, your life, or whatever. So with all this said, last week I asked you a question, I'm gonna ask you the same question. As I've just kind of walked through some of those things, did the Holy Spirit just kind of ping you? You, you, you find yourself, Christian, kind of moving in one of those directions? You didn't do it on purpose, but you just go, whoa, I think I've bought into some, one of those. Last week, there were a lot of people who uh, just sent me a lot of emails and stuff that you know, called me a moron and a jerk and a loser. In fact, John Byron and I, I was sitting down here last night, we were looking at a card and you know, I'm just a moron. This person believes, you know, hey, there's all truth. It's all, hey, come on, who, who's that, who are you? He's one of these guys that, you know, he thinks that, I guess, that the moon's made of cheese. And so you can't even have a, you gotta be tolerant of that idea. No, I don't. I don't. You're entitled to an opinion. I don't care, I have an opinion. But not all ideas are valid. Some of them are just really, you know, just, just stupid. Paul said this in Colossians chapter two, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. You learned about the truth uh, of your sin. You learned about the, the truth of, of hell and heaven and Jesus and the cross by this book. This is how you learned that. And he says, hey, hey, you continue to follow him. You continue to follow in his truth. Let your roots grow down in him and let your lives be built on, on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And then he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from, from Christ. And the reason why some of you who name the name of Christ, you're my brother or sister in the Lord, the reason why you struggle in your walk with the Lord sometimes is not because you don't believe the Bible, you do. But you've also allowed some other teachings, philosophies, to invade your, your life, to invade the life of your family. And so the joy of the Lord and all those things, have, you know, they're just not there anymore. And I sure hope that many of you continue to just really wrestle around with some of the ways that the enemy just gets these lies into our, our lives. So anyway, I uh, uh, got a couple thoughts here that I want to share with you. Number one, uh, you know, if, if you're confused, obviously this church at Pergamum was confused about truth, what it was. You may not be teaching, you know, following the teachings of Balaam or, or Nicholas, but certainly there are other things that we can follow. You, you clear up confusion when you respect and honor the authority of God's word. You respect and honor the, the authority of, of God's word. Jesus said in verse 12, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. Again, in verse 16, he uses that phrase, the sword of my mouth. In Revelation 19, uh, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the, the nations. And I told you last week, I don't think this is literal. I don't think there's coming a moment, you know, when a big sword comes out of the mouth of Jesus and he wipes out all the unbelieving nations of the world. I don't believe that. I believe it's symbolic. 
He's just simply saying that his words are powerful. His words are awesome. In uh, John chapter 18, there's this great moment when Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, I'm he, I'm the guy you're looking for. And man, his words just knock down a whole garrison of, of soldiers. There's power in his words. All God did was speak, and there were, you know, there was light. He spoke, and there was land. He spoke, and there were animals all over the globe. He spoke, and there were fish all over the sea and in the lakes and in, and in the rivers and in the stream. The, the voice of God is a powerful, powerful thing. It's like a, a double-edged sword. And the idea there is, is look, you honor and respect this book, Christian. You make sure that this is the book that you're saying, hey, look, I want this to be the, the guidepost to my, my life. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, God says this to all of us dads or, or parents. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instructions that come from the Lord. This is the book that we use to help our, our sons and daughters, our, our grandchildren, whoever they are, um, uh, navigate life. It's this book. We need to be very careful that we don't allow other teachings, other philosophies to make their way into the lives of our homes, the lives of our children, whether it be materialism, what are they learning from you, mom and dad? What are they learning from you in some of these areas? We have to be very, very careful. Now, I didn't do this last week, but let me give you four practical ways that you can respect and honor the Word of God. I got a lot of emails on this. Hey, Pastor Rick, how can I practically honor and respect the authority of God's Word? Here, here we go, four, real quick. Number one, believe it. Believe the Word of God. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. I didn't say you have to understand it all. Because there'll be much of this book you won't understand. There's much of it I don't understand. If you, you could understand it all, man. What kind of God would we be serving? Now, hopefully, as you mature in the faith, you understand more and more of it. But the issue isn't whether you understand it or not. The issue is, do you believe it? See, I have a son, and when he was younger, um, I remember we had our, our stove on, and so the, you know, the little stove things are all red hot. It looks like licorice to a little boy who's three. So he makes us, he starts to go for the stove. He's going for the licorice. And I said, son, no, 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 you don't go near that stove. And I put him back in the living room. And a few seconds later, he starts going towards that stove again. You see, he doesn't understand what I know. It doesn't matter whether he understands it or not. I, as his father, keep moving him back. And finally, you know, I give him one in the tush. And that'll get some emails from some of you. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't care. Um, 
And I say, son, don't go by the fire. I don't want you going by the fire. And then finally, he doesn't go by the fire, not because he understands. He knows he's going to get in trouble. And that's okay with me. Now, obviously, he grew and he matured, and now he knows why he shouldn't put his hand on the fire. There will be many things, especially for those of you that are young in the Lord, and you'll read it and go, whoa, that didn't make any sense to me. You don't have any understanding. That's okay. There was a time when I didn't understand much either. The longer I've walked with God, I understand more. But the issue is whether you, well, I ain't doing it because I don't understand it. That's my son when he was three. Let me tell you something. You want to honor and respect this book, you just believe it. You just believe it. Number two, you, you got to live it out. James says, hey, just don't listen to the word of God. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. <laughs> Listening to truth is easy. <laughs> just sitting here, yeah, you blew an hour and a half of your life. But it, it's easy. Anybody can listen to truth. A lot of people listen to Jesus talk. It's a whole other thing to live it out. That's a whole other deal. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy. You know, you start living out this book, you're not going to get invited to all the cool parties at work. You start living out this book, you know what? You, you, you may not, you know, get the promotion at work. You start living this thing out, man, guess what? It changes. The dynamic changes, especially in our culture today. But you want to honor and respect the authority of this book, you got to believe it, and you got to live it out. Uh, number three, you got to stand for it. Second Corinthians says, For we cannot oppose the truth, but we must always stand for the truth. Don't ever be ashamed of the truth of God's word. Don't ever be ashamed. There'll be a lot of people out there that will make fun of you and call you names and spit on you or whatever they want to do. But the guys that wrote this book, they stood for it to the degree that most of them lost their lives in a horrible way, horrible. And we can do no less as followers of Jesus. We can do no less. And number four, you gotta tell others about it. You gotta believe it, live it out, stand for it, tell others about it. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in Jesus if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them about Jesus? And that's a beautiful argument. Look, the reason why I got, you know, gave my life to Jesus is somebody said something to me about Jesus. One of them sitting right back there, George Brown. Somebody had to tell me about Jesus. Somebody had to tell me about my sin. Somebody had to tell me about, you know, hell. Somebody had to tell me about the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the resurrection, the beauty of heaven. Somebody had to do that. There are people in your families and in your neighborhoods and, and in the places that you work. They're right down there at Rayleigh's right now. They're on your son's sports team. They're, they're on your daughter's you know, soccer team. They're on the foursome you're going to play golf with tomorrow. They don't know anything. This past week, there was a guy who came right here to the, to the church, and I met with him. He, he'd never been in a church. He was blown away when he saw this church. He said, people sit, I mean, really, this many people come to church? 
And I said, well, we have multiple services. And a lot of churches are big like this. He just had no concept. This is a culture that is just so void of any truth. Well, how's he going to know about Jesus if I don't say something? See, somebody's got to say something, and you've got people in your life. You've got to tell others for it. So you clear up confusion when you respect and honor the authority of God's word. Then I told you also last week, you clear up confusion when you recognize the power and the danger of Satan's lies. You've got to understand that those seven things that I gave you, and there are more, those are powerful things. They're dangerous things. They will mess up your life. They'll mess up your family's life. They'll, they'll mess up your walk with the Lord. They've messed up churches. And so you got to be really cognitive of the, of the fact that they're powerful. Lies are powerful. They can do a lot of damage. Uh, one lie caused the second person of the Holy Trinity to have to leave the glories of heaven and come and die on a cross. The lie of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. That's a powerful thing, a dangerous thing. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you just to go online, look at our app or whatever, and watch the message. I spent a whole lot more time on those two. Now, number three, and I'll quickly go through these. You clear up confusion when you repent of the sin of embracing false teachings or, or teachers. In verse 16, Jesus says, repent, therefore. Repent. Repent. Hey, look, those of you that are goofing around with Balaam and his crummy teachings on sexual immorality, those of you that are messing around with, you know, Nicholas's teachings, you become a, a Nicolaitan, repent. 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 And this is critical. When, when you, as a follower of Jesus, embrace false teachers or false teachings, it's not a good thing. And when God reveals to you some crummy teaching that you've embraced, whether it be materialism, pragmatism, hedonism, individualism, naturalism, humanism, postmodernism, or whatever it might be, you need to repent of it. It'll mess your life up. It'll mess up the, your family's life. It, it, it eventually can mess up us as a church, you see. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Beloved, at the moment I gave my life to Jesus Christ, at the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, something amazing happened. Is that you became a new creation. God's Holy Spirit came into your life. You're new. Oh, the, the new Holy Spirit is in this old crummy earth suit. We'll get rid of this at some moment. But you're new. Things became new. And one of the old things that has to go when you give your life to Jesus are the old worldly philosophies that you were following. Those old, you know, worldly, you know, nonsensical things that are based on human reasoning other than God's word, you see. And for some, that takes a while to purge. But Christian, don't ever think that somehow, you know, oh, I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, no, the devil's too good. The demons are too good. They're too crafty. They can do all kinds of things and appeal to the flesh in ways that the next thing you know, you're buying into some crummy, crummy 
idea or, or thoughts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about a really crummy situation that was going on in the church, and Paul writes, and he says this. He says, hey, church, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. They had some hedonist in their church. Something that even pagans don't even do. What was that? I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. So here you got a, a kid and a stepmom having sex with one another. That, that's hedonism. That's individualism. I can do what I want to do. I mean, it feels good, right? That's pragmatism. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. You're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that, that, that this sin is like a, a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. So you got these two people that have bought into some crazy teachings, hedonism, this man having sex with a stepmom, you know, and then you have others in the church that have bought into pragmatism. Hey, listen, it may not be my thing, but who am I to judge? And Paul says, wake up! You, you've bought into some teaching that's wrong. You gotta, you gotta do something about it. You gotta take some action. And I don't know, maybe this lady was a, a cool lady, maybe this was a, a popular guy in the church, I don't know, but that often happens. Somebody's really popular, man, we're all afraid, oh man, I don't wanna do anything, you know. Who am I to get involved, right? I'll tell you who you are. You're a child of the king. And we're called to get involved when we see sinful, crummy things going on in the church. And I'll tell you, when, 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 you don't, when you don't repent, when you don't deal with, with things, um, th there's just no joy. Some of the people that I've been talking with online and on the phone and meeting with, this past week, they recognized why their home had no joy in it. Why there was all kinds of tension in their home. And that was because they just bought into some of these crazy lies. Yes, they love Jesus. Their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. But wow, these crummy teachings that just suck the life out of them. And, and number four, you, you clear up confusion when you truly understand how special you are to God. I, I want to just quickly focus on this one little phrase here. He says, I, I, I will give him a white stone. This is the person who overcomes. This is the person who repents of their sin. This is a person who says, you know what, I really want to make this the book, the teaching that I follow. He says, I I'm going to give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. And I want to talk a little bit about that white stone. And, you know, what is that white stone? What is that thing? Well, here's the deal. We really don't know. Deuteronomy chapter 29 says that the Lord our God has secrets known only to him. There are a lot of things that God hasn't revealed to us. Yeah, we have this incredible book and it reveals a lot of things about God to us, but trust me, th this isn't everything. There are some things that are just a secret to, to God. And I, I, I think this white stone is one of those secrets. Now I do think that it's really cool that Jesus writes something special. There's this thought that he's gonna write this special thing 
and he gives it to you. And nobody else knows what's on it but you and him. It's a special little thing just between you and him. And I was, um, I was on this chat room this week where these gals were sharing, um, you know, the special names that they have for their husbands. <laughs> uh, guys, this is going to make you sick, okay? <laughs> because you're, you're, some of your women are talking about these things. Anyway, names like baby. Hey, baby. Hey, that's good. Yeah. Hey, sweetheart. Angel. You know, you think, think about it. Spouses. You know how you have that little special name for your spouse? Hun. Hubby. Cupcake. How about Daddy Mac? Daddy Mac? Schnuggums. Mmm. Schnuggums. Lee? She didn't call you Schnuggums. No one would ever call Lee Schnuggums. I guarantee it. <laughs> oh, there's one of your big Papa Smurf. <laughs> Puddle puff, uh, you know, I, and some of my, most of them I couldn't even repeat. There's young children in the, in the building. But anyway, um, the thing is about those special names we have for one another is they're special. You don't call anybody else that name. And it's because you have a special relationship with that person, you see. And here's this, here's this little moment in the scriptures where Jesus says, hey, look, here's the deal. You honor you respect the authority of my word. Understand just how dangerous and powerful the lies of the enemy can be. You, you make sure you keep your life right with me. Repent when you see some of those crummy things getting into your life. And there's coming a moment when I'm going to see you face to face in heaven. And there's this idea that I'm going to give you something. I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you. And I've got a special message just for you. I don't know how many people are going to be in heaven. There are times when I, I got five in my home, and I'll, I'll look at one of my kids and go, Megan, Kate, Greg, who are you? Get in your room. I can't even keep five people straight in my home. Yeah. Somehow, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who puts you together inside your mother's womb, you're made in his very image. He came and he died for you. There's coming a moment when he, oh, I've been waiting for you to come. I've been waiting. And he gives you this white stone. And it's only, you'll get it. Nobody else will get it. It's just something very personal between you and Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you understand that our relationship with God isn't this, well, you know, he's the cosmic God and you know, really doesn't have anything to do with this. Oh, no, 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 no. He is a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with you. He knows you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. That's how intimately equated he is with you. And may that be maybe the thought that will rattle around in your mind for a while. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
He said, I hope you'll put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, and that's Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anybody tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one that you believed in. And here's the great apostle Paul writes to this church and he says, listen, I'm just really jealous for you. I'm jealous like God's jealous for you. And I, I, I made a promise that I want to present you to Jesus Christ as a pure bride. Not, not a bride that's been corrupted by materialism or hedonism or pragmatism or you know, whatever it might be. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to, 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 to get involved in that. And as I read that this week, that's what I thought of you. I have the, the, the privilege of shepherding this church with a lot of other great pastors and a lot of great, lot, great elders. And I don't know if the Lord's gonna come back on my tenure or not, I don't know. Maybe there'll be somebody after me. But I know that right now, my thing is, is that, man, I want you. I, I'm like Paul, I'm jealous. I know the elders of our church are jealous. I know the pastors of this church are jealous that, that you would be presented to Christ, that we as a church family would be presented to Jesus Christ, a pure bride, not one that's been goofed up with all these crazy teachings that, that might be out there. And so as I was looking at this third letter, this letter to the confused church, I hope that somehow maybe these last two messages will be a blessing in your life and in the life of your family. And that if you do see some things in your life or whatever, man, please, repent. If you need some wisdom about something, give us a call, let us talk with you. That you as one individual of this church family could be presented to the Lord someday as somebody who simply just followed this, followed this book. Over in the, the venue, would you stand and everybody in here, would, would you stand? And I just want you to close your eyes for, for just a moment, okay? Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I want to encourage you to take the, the Bible, and we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God that's revealed within this book, the Bible. But may the truth of this book be the thing that guides all of your lives. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, the altar room is available. We're gonna just sing this little chorus together. If you're here and you'd like for us to pray for you for anything, just go into the altar room over in the venue or in here. Scott, sing this together. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great. 
痛。